let's just hear a hand clap of, of gratefulness for our worship team. And then even more for the Holy Spirit that is in our presence this morning and drawing us in toward him. Just remain standing for a moment. Let's bow our heads together. We are, as a country, and certainly as a city, along with Memphis, here in Baltimore, we are in a liminal space between despair and hope. Liminal just means a place through which we pass on the way to somewhere. And I want to encourage us in prayer this morning to go in the direction of hope, to move toward the one who has said to us that he loves us, that we are his beloved. So take a moment in silence to confess to the Lord that you live in that space between despair and hope, that we are broken, we don't always know what to do. Just let that sit for a moment. It's okay to not know. And then tell the Lord you want to move toward him. As was preached the last two weeks, he is a God who does not hide. As a matter of fact, he searches for us. He says, where are you? Father, we pray this morning that we will move toward you, toward your divine economy, toward an altern alternative future where we are wagers of peace and not violence where we grow up to be more and more like your son, Jesus. Father, we live in hope because of who you say we are. We are free indeed. We are your ambassadors of reconciliation. And we gladly take that mantle on ourselves because we belong to you. There's no other way to go. We pray in Jesus' name and all the Lord's people said. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat in his presence and enjoy it. This morning, um, we are in our series, the third part of our... Come on in, folks. Walk right in front of the camera. It's okay. Those of you who see people walk in front of the camera, that just means you're supposed to join us live here. Get off your couch. Come on down here. And repeat after me. I'll arrive at 925. Two people did that this morning, and I want to thank you for that. That was awesome. That was awesome. Well, it is a joy to see you here, even in the midst of such violence and such despair around our country here in the city, less well-known nationally, but it was a tough weekend. Now, in the third part of our series on why reconciliation, the gospel story, we have to spend time, and I want to encourage you this morning to settle in and give yourself permission to think about yourself. Somebody say yourself. Somebody say, myself. Say it. Myself. It's going to be okay today to think about yourself. And I'm going to give you the reasons why. Now, through the years for me, the most helpful metaphor to be even to begin to comprehend reconciliation of all types, it lies on the metaphor of the dance floor. Are you with me? Dancing church covers the continuum from awkward to agile. It covers the continuum from lonely to loved. Now, on earth, and Corey has talked about that in the first two weeks of our series, we, we dance with God. He talked about Jacob wrestling with God in an intimate dance last week. We will certainly talk in the weeks ahead about the dance we have with one another. 
And it can look like ballroom dance. It can look like romantic dance. It can look like line dancing. It will look like square dancing at times. But this dance we have with one another, we can get this metaphor. But listen, church, maybe most especially in the dance we have with ourselves, I want to spend this morning emboldening you, even provoking you to get out on the dance floor where yourself meets the embrace of the God who made you. Now, dancing with oneself, Bob Boyer, always feels awkward, especially when you find out that someone's watching. Take a look at an all-time fave scene where the British prime minister, played by Hugh Grant, is dancing with himself. Let's see if we can get this on here. It's never kind of easy. You know what I'm talking. There it is. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mary, I've been thinking. Yeah. 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 We're going to get better at this video clip thing. You know, post-pandemic, we've had a hard time bringing videos back. But I want to thank Bob Boyer. Give me a hand for giving this a shot. Listen, this morning we come to dance with ourselves, And even though in so many ways we are most familiar with this arena by the sheer advantage of the time we all spend with ourselves, for most of us, I would say, it is the single most elusive arena of reconciliation to actually navigate. We get it. We understand it. You're going to get the theology this morning, Dara. You're going to understand the theology. The pastoral application is far more elusive far more hard. So I'm going to spend just a few minutes giving you two points of theology, and, uh, and then in the, my final point, I'm going to spend a lot of time pastorally with you. But at the outset, let me say, church, that Pastor Corey's um, monumental two-part opening, uh, his, his theological declarations on why reconciliation, they deserve another listen. If you weren't here or listened to it a second time, and I would say this, Corey, we must be grounded in good theology that you gave us the last two weeks. We must be grounded in good theology, the understanding and study of God, in order to accomplish effective reconciliation. As William Paul Young writes, he writes this, listen to me, bad theology, he says, is like pornography. Oh, everybody's mind just came awake. Bad theology is like pornography, the imagination of a real relationship without the risk of an actual relationship. It tends to be then transactional and propositional instead of relational and mysterious. And that is our relationship with God. It is relational. It is mysterious. But we have, as Corey preached about, a God who asks, who says, who declares, where are you? And that is a mystery that we should never shun. He seeks you out, Grace City. Anybody ever go to a high school dance and stand on the side and wonder if anybody would dance with them? Have you, anyone ever have that experience in life? At the edges of the gymnasium or the Elks Club or wherever you had one of those days? Yeah, Cooper's shaking his head. Yeah, that happened to me. I got that. This is the deep mystery of the God who seeks you out. Reconciliation with self demands good theology. It is not an a la carte, select or not, 
a la carte selection in the buffet of reconciliation. It is essential, in fact, to the whole of what it means to follow Christ. Remember Jesus' fundamental command. You all know it. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as? In fact, reconciliation with self is the platform, it's the foundation, it, it, is, it creates the wake for all other reconciliation as yourself. So loving God, church, and loving others depends on the loving of oneself. But here's the problem. We all suffer from uh, uh, the problem of perception. Despite all of our brilliance on, on self-worth and self-esteem and self-self, all the books we've written, despite all that regarding self-worth, the biblical foundation of loving oneself, it occupies a different universe, an entirely different economy that I call often God's economy. The truth is, we, is that we always have a willing partner in our dance with self. Are you with me? We have a willing partner in our dance with self. This is why it's a mystery. It's like, how do I put that together? Grace City, the concept of self is multi-layered, but you must understand from the outset, it does not involve being alone. Are you with me? It sounds like an alone thing. It's never an alone thing in God's economy. In this, here's what I mean. In the same way that a book has a very different value apart from its author, so our identity apart from God is inherently unstable because he is our author. In 1993, Shania Twain released a song called Dance with the One That Brought You. It's an old sentiment, but listen to the chorus. You got to dance with the one that brought you and stay with the one who wants you, the one who's going to love you when all the others go home. Now, I'm not a country fan, Lord knows, but I want to steal that sentiment this morning. I want to subtract one letter from that title of that song and title this sermon, Dance with the One That Bought You. Dance with the one that bought you. And there are three things, two very brief theological points, and then one pastoral point that will take some time. There are three things regarding the dance of reconciliation with self that you need to know and take home with you today. And as, as your pastor, I want you to get this. And the first point is this. We have been asked to the dance. You have an invitation Look at Romans 5, 9 through 11 with me. Since now we have been justified, bought, bought, somebody say bought. Since we have been bought by his blood, dance with the one who bought you. That's where the title comes from. How much more now, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received what? Reconciliation. This is what, where Corey landed us in the last two weeks. Now, what's new here for us this week in verse 11 is very personal. We are no longer limited to boasting in our performance, our status, or even in our hope to do better. And I hear that all the time over coffee with all of you. I want to do it better. I want to be better. I want to I live life better. But reconciliation, I want you to give that up today. <laughs> My pastor said I don't have to do better. I am. Give it up. Reconciliation with self begins with an invitation to the dance from God. And you can even boast about it. I remember going to a, uh, a Young Life. Anybody know the ministry of Young Life? <coughs> I, was, 
I, I, be, I actually met the Lord through the ministry of Young Life in high school, and then I was on Young Life staff for over 100 years. And, uh, uh, but I remember as a ninth grader, Corey, going to a Young Life-sponsored dance at the high school. Young Life was huge at my high school. There were over 500 kids there every week at club. But as a freshman, you don't know what it is. You don't know what you're headed into. And I remember I go to this dance. Hundreds of kids are there. And this upperclassman, one, one class ahead of me, well, I already know she is the... Um, She's gorgeous, I will admit. As a ninth grader, I'm like, wow. But she's also the, she just, she's just the it girl of the high school. Rue Hayes was her name. You'll never find her. Rue Hayes comes up to me standing on the side of the whatever thing we were, I think it was an Elks Club. What is an Elk? I don't even know what an Elk is. And, and I'm standing there on the side with a, and he, she comes up and says, hey, you want to dance? And I'm like, are you kidding? I, and, and then later on, and, and we danced for a few minutes, and then later on I told all my friends, guess who asked me to dance? Rue Hayes asked me to dance. And my friend said, yes, she asked me too. <laughs> and what Rue did in the dance was, as, as <coughs> excuse me, as the dance ended, she said, hey, I hope you'll come out to Young Life Club this week. It's on Monday night. You think I showed up? But the point was, she was inviting everybody by saying, you're included. Come into the dance. Come on. You're, you're, you're part of this. And I boasted about being asked to the dance. Grace City, we're not boasting in the hope that such a thing might one day be true, that you're invited by God. We are recipients of a very present reality. We just sang about it in the first two songs today. If you remember those lyrics I am who you say I am. We are recipients of the reality of belonging to God through the reconciliation offered up in Jesus Christ. The time is now, Grace City. You have been asked to the dance, and you can even boast about it. Boast about it. But I know this insight is over. Like, this is insight. You all get it. You're like nodding your heads. I see it. But practicing it is a whole different thing. It's just hard. Insight, I will tell you this as a psychotherapist, insight is overrated. It is. What we do with it, ah, that's not overrated. There's a battle for self that goes on despite our knowledge of where we stand, of our knowledge of the invitation that we've received. We still live in this battle for self. Let me show you a second theological step in the dance. And it becomes now in the present that we've been asked to the dance, but now we are becoming Avatars in the dance, avatars in the dance. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 19 to 21, that God was reconciling, was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. We've been invited. He has committed to us, to us, to you and me. He's committed that same message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. I'm moving this into the world of avatar, but we are ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We employ you on Christ's behalf, therefore, be reconciled to God, accept the invitation. You have the invitation, be reconciled to God. Go back and listen to Corey's sermons. He'll talk about how that happened. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become, somebody say become, the righteousness of God. Now you see, church, we've been invited to the dance. We've been reconciled with God, but it does not end there. In our dance with God, we now can learn the steps of the divine dance so well, in fact, that we know how to lead in the dance as well. We know the steps as though God were making his appeal through us. 
there's an invitation accepted. And from that moment on, Corey, there's a becoming. There's a becoming. We are becoming the righteousness of God. Representatives, ambassadors, avatars. And if you're a fan of the movies, you'll know what I mean. We are avatars of Jesus. How? Jesus was skin on. That's who we are in this world. Jesus was skin on. We are embodiments of the gospel message. Don't miss this. You see, church, when we think of righteousness, we gravitate immediately toward the moral and ethical character of God. And you immediately think it's your job is to become a holier person, to perform. And that's a Western idea, but this is not what Paul, the Apostle Paul, is talking about here. Give it up. Holiness is the word that would capture that dimension of God, and it's important, but that's not present in this text or in the concept of righteousness. Remember, Paul is deeply schooled in Hebrew thought, so Paul's idea of becoming the righteousness of God must be seen through that lens. Let me show it to you in Isaiah 16. In love, a throne will be established. This is the throne of Jesus Christ. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it. This is Jesus Christ. One from the house of David. This is Jesus. It's all meant to identify him. Watch this. One who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. Church, here righteousness is a cause. It seeks justice, it sits in faith, it establishes its throne in love. And Corey, that's a whole other three-point sermon. I'm not going to do that one right now, but that will come so probably in the summer. God's righteousness here is not a quality of the moral nature of God, but rather an action of God. The dance, if you will, of God with you and me. It is God's merciful, redeeming, restoring, and reconciling dance with all of creation. It is the deed of salvation. It is the application of love. So when Paul speaks of God's righteousness, he is referring to his reconciling love that covers you online, that covers you and covers you. And Corey did that illustration last week. Go back and look at it on a video where he covered Maddie with that covering of righteousness. Why? Why does he do this? So that we might become the righteousness of God. When Maddie got up from that chair last week, she was now, Jesus was skin on for the rest of us, and so are we. Here it is, here it is, that we would carry on the work of reconciliation that he has done and is doing through us. He has made us avatars of reconciliation to carry out the divine and mysterious steps of righteousness in a world that is desperate to learn that dance. So what does it look like? How do I stay on the dance floor with God as my partner? It's no easy thing. Grace City, the third step of the dance of reconciliation with self lies in agility. Somebody say agility. How many of you think of yourself as agile? Some of you were gymnasts. Any gymnasts in here? There you go. I'm talking about spiritual agility today that all of us can aspire to. This is more pastoral than theological, so I want you to just kind of shed the, the Bible study portion. And let's talk pastoral. This is my heart. This is my heart for you, Grace City Church. We must grow more agile as we dance with God. That's our third point today. Church, I am, listen, I'm beyond grateful, and I know Corey is too, but we are beyond grateful for the honor it is to be your pastor. That's always a thing for us. I love you all 
more than life. And I worry, I worry that you might miss what we're talking about this morning. I know you get it, but I still think you can miss it. I think so often we all miss it. Church, at the core of my heart, at the core of my faith, lies the conviction that you and I and we are the beloved daughters and sons of God. And one of the enormous spiritual tasks that we have is to claim that, to stand on that, and to live a life of spiritual agility, dancing with our God, learning the steps, becoming his righteousness, because he calls us his beloved. As the apostle says in Galatians 5.1, he says, plant your feet, your dancing feet, plant your feet, Firmly, therefore, within the freedom for which Christ has set you free. Are you ready to plant your feet? They're not, they're not, they're not still. They're dancing feet. It's as much dancing as I'll do. Here's the platform for divine freedom, for the spiritual agility to thrive in it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, we all are being transformed. Here it again is this, this present perfect participle future. We all, Mark would know what actual tense this is. We are all being transformed, tra we being transformed, becoming transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Now church, this isn't easy. We get it, but it's not, in fact, most of us consistently fail to claim and stand on these truths about who we are becoming. We, we've, do me a favor for a minute. Without slapping your neighbor, just extend your arms as wide as you can. Everybody, just do it. If everyone's doing it, it's not that awkward. Don't slap your neighbor. Just keep them out there for a minute. Now, imagine your left hand is the date of your birth. And imagine that your right hand is your, the date of your death. All right? Let me, let me change it. I'm going to change it up real quick. Imagine the left hand is the date of creation. Genesis 1. I'm going to go back to Corey's image. And your right hand is Revelation 22. Okay? The end of, the, the end of all things, summed up in, in Jesus Christ. Creation to the summing up. Are you with me? All of history. Now, put your arms down and just put your middle finger and thumb together. Right in the middle of where your hands were. This, then. Your thumb is your birth date. And your middle finger, tip of your middle finger, is your death date. In the middle of that entire span, we have a tiny little life, church. And it goes by really fast. Snap your fingers. That's your life. And the question for you and me here in the middle of this, the question is, who? Who are we? That's the question that keeps us going, by the way. I know this as a psychotherapist and as a pastor. Because throughout our brief life, consciously or not, we try to answer that question. We do. Most of us come back to, to one or a combination of three myths that must be put away as we grow up to become the righteousness of God, transformed in Christ. And the first, first myth is this, I am what I do. I am what I do. This is very real, isn't it? 
you know, when, when I do good things, have some success in my life, I feel good about myself. And when I fail, I start to falter. I feel disheartened. And then, and I think I'm the oldest person in this room every week, by the way, when we get older, we, we can't do as much anymore, Corey, but, but we say, look at my trophies. Look at what I've done. Look at my shelf full of accomplishments. I, I did some good things. Look at my sermons, some of my sermons. Look at my children who I educated and my grandchildren who they're raising. Look, look at the things I started. Look at the church Corey and I did together. Look, look at it. Look, I did something good. Or we might say, I am my reputation. And, and you know, that's really powerful, isn't it, Pete? I am what other people say about me. In fact, sometimes that seems most important. If, if people think well of you, you can walk around quite freely, can't you? But when you sense criticism, someone's talking behind your back or really has gotten to know you and your failures, or maybe they're in some way eroding your reputation, it can feel like nausea, can't it? It can make you sick to your stomach. I've spoken to thousands of people at a time. I s do sermons 26 times a year <laughs> with Corey. I, I often hear wonderful things from well-wishers. But Corey, I always remember the one who says they thought it was nonsense, what I said. I remember that one. We also say, thirdly, we, we, we might say, I am what I have. I am what I have. I, I have good parents. I, I have a good education. I have good health, good vocation. I have enough money. I have lots of things. But when a family member dies, or my health crashes, or my 401k crashes, I can slip into doubt and darkness. Listen, church. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with success. There's no nothing wrong with popularity. There's nothing wrong with being powerful. But when we invest our sense of self in such myths, I am what I do. I am what people say about me. I am what I have. Most of our energy then is taken up by the effort to stay on top of it all. Just to survive. I will survive. We call it surviving. But church, listen to me. Godly reconciliation with self goes way beyond surviving. And that's good news for somebody here this morning. It moves from surviving to thriving. This is where God would have us go because we are his. Paul says it another way in Galatians chapter 3. Take a look. For you are all children of God. We just sang it. I've been talking about it through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have done what? Clothed yourself with Christ. Scripture, church, pushes us over. I could have chosen 50 different texts for these messages today. But scripture pushes us constantly and fully to go back to the truth of who we are and claim it for ourselves. Put on your dancing shoes, clothe yourselves in Christ and go and go. I am not what I do, church. I am not what people say about me. I am not what I have. That is wrong thinking. As a matter of fact, that's what Satan said to Jesus when he went, when Jesus met him in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. He said, Satan says, turn these stones into bread and show that you can do something. He says, jump from the temple and let people admire you and the angels catch you. They'll think you're awesome. He says, kneel in front of me and I will give you so many possessions. I will give you so much power and then you will be loved because you've done something and because people admire you and because you have all things. Everybody's going to love you, Jesus. 
But we've been clothed in Christ. So say this with Jesus. Jesus says, that's a lie. Somebody say, that's a lie. He says, that's a lie. That's the greatest lie, he says. It's a lie that will make you and me and all of us enter into relationships of violence and destruction. Because our love for God and our love for one another will be performative. And our love for others will be conditional. And that's not where we can live. So Jesus shouts to Satan, no! I know who I am. And you want to know why, demon? You want to know why I know that's a lie? Because before the Spirit sent me to the wilderness to meet up with you, the Spirit came upon me and said, you are my beloved son, and I am so very pleased in you. And Grace City, that's who you are. That's who I am. When Jesus heard that voice, you are my beloved, he believed it. He clung to it. He practiced it as he lived his very brief life on earth. Like you and me. People praised him and people rejected him. People shouted Hosanna and people crucified him. But Jesus held on to the truth, Pete, that whatever happens, I am the beloved of God. That is who I am. And then the phone rang. Grace City, if, if there's anything I want you to hear this morning as your pastor, it's that what is said of Jesus is said of you too. You have to hear. You have to hear that you are the beloved daughter. You are the beloved son of God. And not just hear it here. I know you get this. You sing it. You dance around singing it if no one's watching. You can't just get it here. You got to get it here. You got to get it in your heart. You got to get it in your gut. You got to get it embodied. You got to dance with it. Not just hear it. To hear it. To hear it in such a way that you can live your whole life with colossal spiritual agility, transformed, if you will, into a spiritual gymnast, Abby, who lands on their feet after flying through the twists and troubles on this side of heaven that will always come, living in confidence, neither selfish nor selfless. Let me say a word about that. What if I ask you Christians particularly you Christian women, what's the opposite of selfish? You're going to most often say what? Selfless. No. One is just the mirror image of a myth. None of us wants to be called selfish, but I don't want you to be selfless because if you have no self, who are you? That is not who you are in Christ. You are the beloved daughter and son of Jesus Christ. You have a self, believe me. There's nothing less about yourself. There's nothing emptied about yourself. You are always that in the eyes of God. Having a self. Somebody say this. I have a self. It's a good thing. There's no, we, we aren't meant to balance selfishness and selflessness. We're to have a self in Christ. What's it look like? What's this true self? How do we discover, Melissa, this true self in Jesus Christ? This is what it looks like to have a reconciled self. You are, you are, we are able to withdraw for God's sustenance and engage for God's purposes. 
We are able to pray and study for inspiration, and we're able to stream a silly show for fun. We're able to fast for discernment and throw dinner parties for relationships. We're able to sleep for our health and exercise for our health. I like to sleep better. We're able to rest without guilt and serve without burnout. This is the agile follower of Christ. We're able to demand justice for the victims of Baltimore violence and love mercy for the perpetrators. (laughs) We're able to despair over Tyree Nichols and hope in God's promises for an alternate future. Why? It looks like the beloved of God who are ably and nimbly able to navigate life on earth with agility and buoyancy and conviction. ABC, agility, buoyancy, conviction. I wrote those words. I thought, well, that's ABCs. I didn't mean it. Agility, buoyancy, conviction. For God's sake, Grace City, this morning, will you listen to the scriptures? Here it is. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Can you hear that? I can come up with a hundred more like it. Church, if you can hear his voice, that speaks from all eternity to all eternity, you will no longer live as a person fumbling for his or her identity on the sidelines of the gymnasium, just hoping someone will come up and ask you to dance. That cosmic gymnasium. You will be dancing, becoming, being the righteousness of God with the confidence of the beloved. You know what that's like to be confidence, have confidence in being loved? That's what Christ invites us to. From now, and you will have this confidence from now to the end of your life. It's a, it's a, it's a mist. But wouldn't you like to live that time with the confidence of the beloved? Let's bring the worship team up. But as they come up, let me foreshadow for a minute next week's sermon and the next several weeks of sermons that Corey and I will be doing. I'll be doing next week and then Corey for a couple on reconciliation with us. Let me foreshadow how it, important it is to dance in this truth of self-reconciliation before we move on to reconciliation with others. The voice, church, that calls you beloved is the voice of the first love. John Crooks knows this text, 1 John chapter 4. John writes this, we love, why? Because God loved us first. Grace City, our great struggle is always to grasp this first love. You were loved before any mom or dad or teacher or friend or spouse or child ever loved you or wounded you. Listen, people who love us do not always love us well. Amen? The people who care for us also wound us. And if you don't know this yet from your brief experience, just keep living a while longer. In this world, love and wounds are never quite separated. But we can only live in reconciliation with self and with others when we when we reclaim that first love for ourselves so that we can forgive those who love us poorly. You can begin to play. That would be great. Here it is from Paul again in Colossians 3. Take a look. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self a renewal. Watch this, verse 11, in which there is no distinction. You can read it, but there's no distinction between anyone. But Christ is all in all. 
Here's my challenge for you this week. Could you hold on to that between now and next Sunday? Every time, church, you have a temptation to become bitter, to be jealous, to lash out, to gospel, to, to, to gossip, say no. Like Christ on the, in, the, in the wilderness, say no. I am the beloved child of God. And even though this circumstance really hurts me, frustrates me, even angers me, I will stand on the truth of his first love and reclaim the truth of my belovedness. And if I can hold on to that, if you can hold on to that and live spiritually agile in this world, then I can practice my freedom to love other people no matter what without expecting them to give me what my heart desires because I already have that in the first love of God. In the end, church, it's his love alone that can satisfy. And when we practice our belovedness, we can be as free and as agile as we know Jesus to be. Do that study sometime. It will knock your socks off. And then we can walk in this world and proclaim God's first love everywhere we go as the righteousness of God. Amen? Let's stand and let's sing together about our freedom in Christ.